beauty and skincare is always a hot topic around here, and today I want to tell you about a new product line I've discovered that I think you will like, Exponent Beauty. Listeners of the show will receive 20% off their purchase. More details on that in a minute. Exponent Beauty is a skincare brand with a line of activated anti-aging serums that are clinically proven to reduce fine lines and wrinkles. The beauty of Exponent Beauty is their innovative form factor. The powders are activated with a quadruple hyaluronic acid serum in their patented precision-dosed dispenser. The packaging is gorgeous, and the dispenser itself is refillable, so it has also reduced plastic waste. Exponent Beauty's line of serums can be found in med spas and spas and dermatologists' office around the country. The line is dermatologist-recommended and clinically proven to reduce those fine lines and wrinkles, and to increase brightness and radiance, and to firm skin without irritation. No more expired or underutilized products with Exponent Beauty, just high-quality skincare with ingredients that work. Go to ExponentBeauty.com and use code TELL20 for 20% off a purchase of $100 or more. That's Exponent, E-X-P-O-N-E-N-T, Beauty, B-E-A-U-T-Y.com and use code TELL20, T-E-L-L, the numbers two zero for 20% off your purchase of $100 or more. <laughs> to tell. This is an interactive podcast. Each episode has a prompt and a topic that I want you to take to your journal or text to your best friend or answer on social media using the hashtag 10 things to tell you. This is a show about digging deeper and sharing our stuff. This episode is a little bit of a different format. I'm with one of my oldest and dearest friends, Dr. Kara Pence, and we're revisiting a childhood favorite, Judy Bloom. I have several ideas for a revisit series where we can look at some popular things from our past, books, movies, TV shows, etc., and talk about how they affected us and how we feel about them now. So this is the first in that series, and we're looking back at the formative era of prepubescent literature, that is... Judy Bloom. Specifically today, we're going to talk about three of Judy Bloom's novels. Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret, Blubber, and my personal favorite, starring Sally J. Friedman as herself. I really want to hear what you guys think about these books or any of the Judy Bloom books that had a big impact on you. I want to know if your kids are reading them, if you think these stories have held up over time. My guest, Kara Pence, is an esteemed surgeon in Oklahoma, so suffice it to say, she and I spend our days very, very differently. She saves lives. I do not. She is a surgeon who specializes in robotic surgery and minimally invasive abdominal surgery with a special interest in treating colon and breast cancer patients. Kara is a mother of three, and she has been married to her husband, Jared, for nearly 18 years. She is an avid reader. I asked Kara to have this conversation with me for the show because we knew each other back when we were reading Judy Bloom. 
Kara and I have been really close friends since the fifth grade. We talk all the time. We try to see each other several times a year. And one of the things that we love to do together, one of the things that is special about having such a lifelong friend, is that we dissect parts of our past. In the conversation you're going to hear today, we get a little bit emotional about some of the themes brought up in these books. I want you to know that I have Kara's permission to share the parts of our discussion that get really painful. We both believe in the power of these kinds of conversations between friends. Now, I tried to edit this with respect to all parties involved, but it's an important piece of the episode. It also shows how Judy Bloom is still making an impact all these decades later. Okay, let's start by, I want to ask you, why we're even doing this? <laughs> Why? What is your relationship to Judy Bloom? So when I was a kid growing up in our little small town, my mom worked after school. And so I used to walk down from our little middle school to the library, but I had already had a really good relationship with our library because my mom took us there a lot for, I guess, some downtime for her. But I would just walk through the stacks in the library and read whatever whatever looked good. And I remember a librarian when I was about 10, 11, handing me my first Judy Bloom book. Um, I had been through all the Beverly Cleary books, the Ramonas and those kind of things. And I think it was the next natural progression, obviously. The first one that I read was Blubber. And then Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret. So it was just part of my growing up and my reading different things. And our librarians were always really good about pointing out what they thought that we would like. And so that's how I met Judy Bloom. Did you like have an intense emotional connection to Judy Bloom versus Beverly Cleary and those other books? Or, or was it just one in sort of your childhood canon? I would say that after I read, Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret, I felt like she knew me. She took all my secret thoughts that I never said out, out loud And it was all there in Margaret's brain, like on the page. And I thought, this woman is, she read my mind. This is a story about me. And so that's when I really remember being seen, you know, kind of as an emerging woman and really like feeling like somebody had looked into my soul and divulged all my private thoughts. So I I was blown away the first time that I read, Are You There, God? Did you already know about periods and stuff like that? Or did Judy Bloom, was she the big reveal? (laughs) (laughs) she definitely was part of the big reveal. And, you know, we were all finding out about these things at the same time. I think she was just part of that whole experience. I don't remember her being like the sentinel event, but definitely part of the emotion that's wrapped up into becoming a woman when you're about that age. I have absolutely zero recollection of my mom giving me a birds and the bees talk. Like this thing that is such so big for everyone, they all have this big memory. I don't have this big memory, and but I also don't have a big memory of Judy Bloom revealing it to me either. I have no idea where, where I learned about how the body works. I think I started reading Judy Bloom before you did. I think I started like when I was eight or nine, which is honestly the target audience for this. And I have a nine-year-old daughter And I am not ready for her to read these. (laughs) So I gave Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret, to my niece for Christmas. I think this is what got us started talking about Judy Bloom. I was telling you this. 
And she read it. And I remember thinking, oh, I hope her mom's going to be okay with this because I don't think her mom had read it. But she is fully aware. Her mom is a nurse and she's fully aware of all the things. She has been given all the talks. She's a very mature 10 year old. And I knew that she was ready for it. And I knew that she would love it because she's a really big reader. So I think it's perfect for her. I do think a lot happened between nine and 10, honestly. I definitely think I was 12 before I read it. So you were after the target audience, really? So we were pretty sheltered, honestly. So I remember being scandalized by it, but also feeling known. And I hadn't started my period yet, and I wasn't wearing a bra yet. So I was developmentally in the same stage that Margaret is. I remember Judy Bloom as changing my life and... I got to see Judy Bloom speak here a few years ago in Los Angeles. She wrote that book in an unlikely event, which is an adult book. But at the downtown library in LA, they had this, you know, speaker event or whatever. And I went and it was hundreds and hundreds of women, roughly our age, like within a decade, ages 35 to 45, let's say, all in this room. It was literally all women. I can't remember if there was any men there to see Judy Bloom speak. She spoke about her new book. And then at the end... There was a Q&A session and the MC woman, whatever, the person running the Q&A had to give a little mini speech to this crowd of hundreds of women and be like, there is a no gush rule. You are not allowed to stand up and tell Judy Bloom how she changed your life. (laughs) You are not allowed to tell her how amazing she is. What book did it for you? She said, everyone in this room feels the same way. So let's just skip that part and get to the question. And everyone sort of simultaneously like groaned because that's what we were going to say when we stood up (laughs) and was also sort of relieved because we knew that every person in the room felt the same way. It was actually this very collective and it was like a really good feeling in the room. Everyone felt the same way about this author. And when the MC gave that instruction, Judy Bloom laughed. I'm sure that that actually probably comes from her publicist, but she has been hearing it now for decades, how many women of a certain age, maybe even it goes beyond now. I'm unsure of if these books are still landing with girls in the exact same way because their worlds are so much bigger. Even if they relate to it, it's not like a revelation the way it would have been for us. But anyway, let me tell you something else about that story. There was a signing afterwards, like where you stood in line and she would sign your book. And it was very professional and very quick. And I broke that rule. When it was time for her to sign my book, I told her how much she meant to me and how she had changed my life. (laughs) I'm such a rebel. You rule breaker. (laughs) Okay, so let's start with probably the most famous Judy Bloom book, at least in my estimation, is Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Because it feels like if you haven't, if you've read anything, you've read that one. Number one, is that the best title of a book you've ever heard in your whole life? Are you there? God, it's me, Margaret. I love that title. I do too. And it feels like if you were to pitch it these days, somebody would have been like, no, it's too long and kind of convoluted because it is kind of long, but it is the best title. I will say that the new cover, I had to go buy a new version of Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret. I did not have my original version of that one. And the cover, the new cover is stupid. Well, it looks like a text message between God and Margaret. Which I do not care for. I don't understand. Texting and prayer are not synonymous. (laughs) I first want to say that upon rereading 
what this book is famous for is actually not what this book is about. <laughs> so it's so famous for we must, we must, we must increase, our, increase best. our best. And also it's famous for getting your period, you know, talking about getting your period in a, a little girlfriend group as they each get their period and talking about pads. And stuffing your bra. And stuffing your bra. And these like really big deal scandalous things. I remembered all of that stuff from the book. But as I'm rereading it as an adult, I'm like, oh, this is this is actually a book about religion. <laughs> I thought the exact same thing. In fact, what I remember as a child was reading that she was just praying to get her period and to develop her boobs, which she, that is what she prays about. But then as an adult reading it, it is a complete look into how religion develops and how it shapes a community and how it shapes a person. And you're exactly right. This is all about religion. It's all about her finding God. Where is God actually? Is it in religion or is it in a personal relationship? And then how does that tie you into your community? Which is such a timeless message that everybody still talks about to this day. And maybe that is one of the reasons it is such an iconic book is because it subtly talks about that the way that Judy Bloom writes, she just kind of drops you into the middle of a time period. There's not a lot of big overall messages that she very succinctly presents and ties it up in a big bow at the end. She just kind of plops you into the situation and pulls you out really before there's any finite resolution. But it just kind of gives you these glimpses into real stories that you can put yourself into. And then it's kind of a springboard to other conversations. And I was blown away by that because I do not at all remember that as a child. I don't either. And for listeners who haven't done a recent reread of Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret, basically her mother grew up Christian and her father grew up Jewish. So the mother's family has disowned her. And Margaret herself is in a family where the parents, because of their different upbringings and adult beliefs, don't practice any religion. So she identifies as no religion. And when she moves from New York, where she appeared to kind of be in a Jewish community, and then she moves to New Jersey, where there's a mix of things, but she doesn't identify as either. And that's sort of shocking to everyone in her class. It's shocking to her friends. And suddenly she's having to think about, am I Jewish? Am I Christian? Where is God? And then there's this whole really heartbreaking scene that I definitely didn't comprehend when I was a kid about her maternal grandparents who come and have never met her, who who come out of the woodwork after like 16 years and still want to convert her. And that's like really, really hard. And then she has a Jewish grandmother who's very involved in her life that she writes letters to. I definitely skimmed over as a kid all of these parts about religion, which is really surprising to me because I also grew up in a non-religious home in a religious community. So it's shocking to me now that I didn't strongly identify with what Margaret was going through as feeling like she didn't really belong anywhere and that her parents weren't really guiding her in that way. In the book, Margaret's parents also have said to her, you can choose your religion when you're grown, which is also something my parents said to me. And that was a very unique way of raising a child in Oklahoma where I grew up. So I am just stunned when I was reading it. Why didn't I connect to Margaret? We're going to talk about Sally J. Friedman later, but Sally J. is fully Jewish and I really connected to her. Margaret is in almost a 
exact same situation I am without the grandparent conflict. I didn't have that, but is in a very similar situation to what I was. And I don't, all I remember are wanting boobs and periods. I saw that so much too. I thought of you multiple times when I was reading this book, but then I thought of you with me as a friend. And then I saw myself and her friends dragging her to the Methodist Christmas service and on all of those things and how that all fell on Margaret as, oh, just shaking another minister's hand. And that was painful in a way to read. But I identified with that whole scenario of we both grew up visiting a lot of different churches with our friends. We were taught at a young age to evangelize. And so I saw you and Margaret because you were a self-seeker. You were a self-motivated seeker of God. And it was bold to me and amazing to me that you wanted to know those things. I thought, always thought that was so much more mature than any of the rest of us because it came from this place of just all within yourself. And so I really admire that in Margaret. With sunshine, outdoor activities, and so many fun things to do outside, it is impossible not to enjoy all of these good weather days up ahead. Of course, we all know that more sun and fun means more sweating and, yes, more odor. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Lumi. Lumi is the first of its kind in the full-body deodorant world and is seriously safe to use on any and every part of your body. It was created by an OBGYN who saw firsthand how regular body odor was being misdiagnosed and mistreated. I especially love that Lumi deodorant is baking soda and paraben-free. It is also pH-balanced for safe use on all areas of your body. You can choose from a variety of fresh scents like clean tangerine, lavender sage, and toasted coconut. Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice, like a mini body wash or deodorant wipes, and free shipping. As a special offer for listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with code U at lumideodorant.com. That equates to 40% off your starter pack when you visit Lumi, L-U-M-E, deodorant, D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T, Dot com and use code U, Y-O-U. Y'all know that I love to play games on my phone to unwind, and I am always looking for a new one to download. And I recently ran across Two Dots, and I want to tell you about it. Two Dots is a free-to-download, puzzle-based game that involves connecting dots through relaxing puzzles while unlocking levels and collecting prizes along the way. There are different gameplay modes to make the experience unique and exciting with every single puzzle. There are over 5,000 distinct puzzles with various power-ups and special dots ready to earn as you move through the levels. The in-app music and visually stimulating interface provide a soothing experience when you just want to relax and unwind. Not only is Two Dots free to download, but it can also be played without internet connection. So playing on the go offline is a breeze. And if you don't want to play alone, you can challenge your friends on Facebook, as well as connect with the larger Two Dots community for even more engagement. If you're looking for the perfect game to help you relax, but also keep you engaged, download Two Dots for free on Android and iOS. In the book, Margaret visits a church, two different kinds of churches, and a temple. And she says in the book, when she's praying at night, like, I went to these these places of worship, God, and I didn't feel you there. 
Not like I feel you when I pray to you at night by myself in my bed. I also super related to that. I mean, I did that too as a kid. I wouldn't say that I didn't feel God in in churches or, or religious places, but I definitely didn't feel the same as I did when I was by myself and praying. That has held true for the entirety of my life to this day. I just, I, I can't believe that more people, when they're talking about this book, don't talk about the God part. That is the thrust of the book. Pardon the pun. The, <laughs> the other stuff are just tiny little vignettes about she puts cotton balls in her bra before the school dance. And her friend, her little friend lies about getting her period. And that's sort of a big eye-opening experience in friendship, which I thought was is a great scene because I think we all sort of have those things that happen in elementary school or middle school. I understand why that's what people remember, especially at the time when nobody, Judy Bloom made such waves because nobody was writing about that kind of thing. That was, the, this is the only place you could really read about periods. And that's just not so true anymore. So I guess I do understand why that's the big memory. But I mean, to this minute, when people talk about, are you there, God, it's me, Margaret, nobody talks about, it's in the title, and nobody talks about God. (laughs) I think a lot of what was revealed to me in rereading this again was, you know, this was on the list of top 100 banned books ever. And the fact that this was a banned book just tells me it went over a lot of people's heads looking back on that now. And I remember reading it at the time and feeling like not only did I feel slightly scandalized that I was reading these things on a page, but I also was a little embarrassed. Oh, I wonder if my mom knew what I was reading, would she, how would she feel? And looking back on that, I'm like, why would I think that my parents did not believe in censoring books at all, no matter what it said, despite how religious I grew up. So I don't know. I I just think there was a fundamental misunderstanding. You know, people, this is so common today too. They hear one little piece of something like, oh, that's a book about periods and it's on the banned book list. Right. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about Blubber. (laughs) So I will say before we get into Blubber, because I know you have big feelings about it. I had read Blubber as a kid. I think I read every single Judy Bloom book. And this one is really... Very well read. I feel like it's another one that everyone has read, but I did not. It's the one I remember the least of the ones that we're going to talk about. So I went in on this reread. I went in like a little bit blind. I only vaguely remembered that it was about bullying. And I thought, well, this is relevant still, you know, but I didn't, I did not have a connection. I wasn't going in as sentimental about Blubber as I did with the others, but I know that you have big feelings. So tell me what you thought about Blubber. Well, since we're comparing a little bit to our first read as a child, I think we all feel like we're bullied. I really do. And looking back on it, I don't think that I was bullied more than anybody else. Or, And I know for sure that I was a bully to other people when I could have been kinder. So I think what I remember back then is identifying, though, like I was the victim. And so like this was just another way that Judy saw into my soul and like almost had a camera on my life and put it on paper because I do remember feeling as if bullies never got caught bullies. You know, the only people that would stand up to bullies were my dearest friends. 
And I had a hard time standing up for myself. And I saw that a lot in the main person being bullied in blubber. So as an adult, however, right after I finished it, I thought I have forever written this book for myself. I am so upset. This book is terrible. There's not a single redeeming character in this entire book. Basically the book goes through a couple of months of this one girl's life where she's fitting in with the cool kids at school. They decide to make fun of this girl. That's at least the way it's described in the book. She's not even that big. She's just a little bit bigger than the rest of the wafy people in the class. And she has the social miscue of discussing a whale project like for an oral report. And so they name her blubber based off of this thing she talks about in her oral report. And the book is basically about them bullying adults, bullying each other, not having any sort of parental supervision at school, at home. When parents ask questions, there's, there's one thing that I wrote down. The little girl comes home completely drenched. The mom says, why are you drenched? Do I even want to know? And she said, I wish you wouldn't ask. And the mom was like, okay, go get in the shower. <laughs> that was the whole and I'm like, what are these parents doing? I was just very upset through the whole book. Then what happened was I had a couple of days to think about it. And I kept thinking about it. And I talked to my friends about how awful this book was. And then I read some book reviews. And then I said, Ethan, my 11-year-old, I said, you have to read this book. And we're going to talk about it. And then I was like, oh, Judy Bloom, I see what you did there. I see what you did. And so now he's reading it and we're going to talk about it. And we're going to talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly. The other thing that I can appreciate now after a couple of days of dwelling on it and thinking about it is this is probably more true to real life than not. Because a lot, most of the time the bully does not go punished. In fact, it's almost encouraged through our adulthood. I still live a lot of us still live with bullies every day and I am a part of bullying a lot as an adult and good does not always win. This is also on a banned book list. It's number 43 of a hundred of top banned books ever. And it's mainly because good doesn't win. So anyway, I, I have any, many more thoughts, but I would love to hear what you think. I'm shocked blubber is on a banned book list because there is, there's nothing in it that I would keep my daughter from reading and she's nine. It, it doesn't have the same scandal level or like, oh, this is something you need to learn only from your parents, like meaning periods. and. Well, a couple of things. They pull the girl's pants down and show her underwear to the whole class. And then they force boys to kiss her and then put her in a closet. Oh. And so that's a lot of what's listed about why it's banned. They also call one of the teachers a so that's also listed as why, you know, disrespect. Oh. And but but the number one thing that's listed is it doesn't teach a lesson that good wins. And I disagree with that now. But I, I understand that's how I felt at first. But now I'm like, oh no, no, that's life. That's exactly a little microcosm into the whole world. Well, do, not teaching that good wins shouldn't land you on the banned books. The other thing, you know, obviously sexual aggression is a different thing that we need to discuss with our kids. I thought that Blubber was brutal. <laughs> like I was reading it and I was like, this is 
really gnarly. Like this is way worse than I remembered. They are so mean to Linda, the little girl that they call Blubber. The main character that you're reading the book through her perspective is named Jill. She is just as mean as the other girls. Usually I feel like the main character, and especially Judy Bloom's characters, you're sympathetic. Like you are in the place of the main character. And so you... I thought before I started that the main character would be like witnessing the bullying and maybe not stopping it, but feeling really bad for the girl or something like that. Nope, not true. Main character Jill is just as mean to Linda, who they call Blubber, for the whole entire book. Towards the end, you know, it switches and in a complete kind of fluky moment, Jill does defend Linda And so then the whole class turns on her, especially the main mean girl named Wendy. They all turn and give Jill, the main character, they give her a silly nickname and they make her say bad things about herself before she's allowed to go to the bathroom. And like really ugly things happen. But I do think it shows the sea change of the bully can become the bullied really quickly that things can turn on you and... It doesn't even really teach kindness. Like it, at no point does Jill, even after she's learned her lesson of like, oh, now everyone's mean to me, she just kind of makes new friends. Like she, It's not like that she really has this big thing of like, oh, I better be nice and offer her my cookie or whatever. Like, no, that never happens, which I do think that it is a more true to life story. I really do. But the bullying scenes were for the age group that it's targeting, I thought were really, really bad. Now, I don't know if I'm naive in saying this. Anyone can tell me if I am naive in saying this because, you know, everybody lives in their own kind of bubble. But I was sort of thinking some of these things wouldn't happen at this age today. Like, I know that my kids ride a bus to school and that bus driver is like on it and would not allow some of the things that go down on the bus in Blubber to happen in real life some of the stuff that happens even at school in Blubber, I'm like, where where are the teachers? What is happening? This is so crazy. So again, maybe this is my own life bubble, but I did feel like because bullying has become a thing that schools in general are more aware of, that some of these things, at the especially at the age that they're talking about, would not, I just cannot even understand how that it would happen, that you would get your pants pulled down. And I mean, it's really bad. It reminded me a lot of my own. Well, you started this, you started by saying you think everybody is bullied and that you don't think you were bullied more than others. And I hope that you don't mind me correcting you here because number one, I don't feel like I was ever bullied. And number two, I witnessed you being bullied for years. And so I wondered when I was reading it, if you would connect to it in a different way than someone who never considered themselves to be bullied. And I don't. I don't ever consider myself to be bullied. I was part of a group that bullied people, especially in lower elementary school. And I was part of that group and part of the chanting and part, like I did the whole thing. And, you know, it was terrible. But looking back, reading it, it's you know, I can still feel guilty about it and still feel, and still remember the look on the girl, little girl's face in real life of who we were bullying. I still remember this pretty vividly now. And this was in the third grade, but I never was on the receiving end of it and on in such a way as Blubber was. And I think 
you were. <laughs> Does that hurt your feelings that I said that? No, no, not at all. I just don't know how to respond. Let me think for a second. Well, I feel like you've separated yourself. It's almost like as an adult, you've decided to frame those memories as this happens to everyone. And I'm sort of offering to you that actually this <laughs> doesn't happen to everyone. I can see a couple of big instances that I did never think that we would talk about this. So sorry if I get emotional, but like that pain is so, uh, I don't even know how to talk about this. <laughs> we don't have to, if you don't want to. I think that there were definitely some painful things that happened to me, but I can see it now as an adult that the main person that bullied me, everything is fine. As an adult, we've discussed it and we've moved forward. And one of the things that struck me in the book was Jill says to her mom, there's this girl that they just, she just lets people walk all over her. And the mom's advice was laughter always. They'll, they'll get over it. If you just laugh about it and move on, they'll move on. Well, that's what I tried to do for years. And that never worked for me. But I also had a really hard time standing up for myself. I wish I could talk about this without literally blubbering. Isn't that funny? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that there's ever a good solution. Like the mom's trite, like, we'll just laugh it off and they'll move on to somebody else. Yeah, that sometimes works, but that's not always like sometimes you have to stand up and say, stop. And where were those people in this story? They're, they weren't anywhere. You're right. The, the kids were just like completely unsupervised. They ate lunch and these, they basically just stuck them in the classroom and they ate lunch and were shoving people in closets and pulling people's pants down. I remember those events. The one thing that I laughed, thank God we can laugh about it today, but it was terrible was when I had my shirt pulled up over my head and chased around the parking lot and everyone was encouraging a little boy to rip my shirt off. That was terrible at the time, but. That is a terrible memory. Like no matter how you look at it, I didn't know we were going to talk about this today. But another thing I want to say about it as an adult, looking back on that incident that we both lived through and now reading this book where there's some really similar things happening in the book, Wendy, the main mean girl is kind of a caricature. She is mean no matter what, you know, she changes her mind on who she's mean to. Like she's just a classic mean girl character in our real life. The person that was being mean to you, I think you would agree that we thought then and think now was actually not a bad person. Not at all. Was not a evil bully, like what shows up in the movies or what shows up in this book, Blubber. She actually has a huge heart. And in some very strange, weird way, she really loved you. And she was really mean to you. And that is way more complicated to think about then and now than just to be like, oh, ignore the mean girls or don't give the mean girls any power or whatever, because it's, it's not that easy. It's not that simple. Especially in smaller towns where you, you can't get away. It's not like you can just go get a new friend group. There is nobody else. And so that does lead to a lot of loneliness and isolation. If the strategy, if the only strategy you know 
is to remove yourself from the situation. And sometimes you've got to do that. But I guess what I'm going to try, like the beauty of this book to me is now I'm going to have my kids read it. We're going to talk about it. I'm going to talk about my experience. I'm going to hopefully open up dialogue for them to be able to tell me about their experiences and be a little healthier in developing strategies of what to do, because you're not always going to have somebody there to rescue. You're not always going to have a Lara and you're not always going to know the right thing to do. And so just the dialogue of it, I think is where she has opened up a wonderful opportunity for all of us to be able to read this book, think about it and use it as a platform of where to start from for conversation. Can we also say for audience sake, that you and the girl who bullied you when you were young actually as adults came to a place of healing. Absolutely. And I tried to say that earlier when I was crying, but yeah, no, there's lots of healing that comes with growing up and yeah. Did she apologize? Yes. We saw each other at a reunion and she walked right up to me and we stayed friends through the rest of our schooling. I mean, it wasn't like that episode ended our friendship. I mean, we, it definitely changed for a variety of reasons over time, you know, as you grow up and change apart, but we were always friends. And then as an adult, she walked right up to me. I hadn't seen her in about five years. And she said, I am so sorry for this specific event and this specific event and this, and like we cried and it's, 100% forgiven. It was forgiven back then. But you know, just like she I mean, she would say, I know the pain of that is there. Yeah. Yeah, you did you carried it with you carry it with you to this day. But I do think people can grow up, there is hope for the bullies and the bullied. Well, I didn't know we were going to take that deep dive into our elementary school past. But I'm glad we did, actually, because I think this is one of the things that we should talk about. I think, you know, at at a certain age, people believe that they should just be over some of these childhood hurts. And and I know that you are, and I know that we are over them for the most part, but, but they show up in unexpected ways. They show up when we become parents and we see our own children you know, at the age where we had some hurt, I think it's good to just talk about these things and get them out there and say, this happened. This is how it felt then. This is how I feel now. Sort of like what the whole 10 things to tell you is about, you know, so I'm I'm personally glad that we did that, but we can move on. You can take a deep breath and we can move on. Okay. I'm good. (laughs) Thanks for being my person that understands. It's not every day that you find a product that you truly love and want to shout about from the rooftops. Well, friends, I have found something that I am genuinely excited to share with you today, and that is Born Shoes. Born Shoes are made with the best top quality leather with functional stitching and flexibility. They are lightweight, but they're also supportive. They are great for all casual occasions, extremely comfortable, and especially good for travel. The brand recently gifted me a pair of the Ithaca style sandals. Of course, they are beautiful. The footbed has extra foam for added comfort and with a slight heel for lift. I am positive that I could walk all over London in this pair of shoes, just like I did in my Born Sandals last summer. 
Born Shoes offers sandals, flats, boots, and heels in several styles and color choices. Take comfort in Born Shoes. Every season, they make high-quality shoes that feel as good as they look. With artistic touches, unparalleled craftsmanship, and exquisite materials, Born designs shoes to satisfy the demands of every lifestyle. Go to bornshoes.com for a 15% discount plus free ground shipping on all full-price shoes when you use my promo code TELL. That's born, B-O-R-N, shoes, S-H-O-E-S, dot com, and use promo code TELL, T-E-L-L, for 15% off and free shipping, available exclusively to our listeners for a limited time. So my very favorite book of all time... I mean, it has held that title for so long, is starring Sally J. Friedman as herself. That book, I I was almost scared to revisit it because of how much it meant to me. I mean, I still use the name Sally, you know, when you have to give a name, like at Starbucks or Jamba Juice or Chick-fil-A, whatever, when they have to take your name. I always give Sally, still. My kids think that's hilarious, by the way. But it is from this book. Can we agree that it was the best of these three? (laughs) I loved it for so many reasons. I really did. I feel like the writing style is different. Even though it's aimed at a younger crowd, I think it seems aimed at a younger crowd. It is better written. Literally, the sentences were better. It's basically about a girl, Sally, a little Jewish girl who lives in New Jersey, her brother, has an accident and ends up getting really sick. And so as part of his recovery process, Sally and her mom and brother and grandma relocate for just one winter, one school year, basically, to Florida. So their dad stays back home in New Jersey. They have to leave their beautiful multi-bedroom home in New Jersey, and they relocate to this little tiny, tiny apartment where they live in an apartment building with a lot of other Jewish people, mostly older, mostly Holocaust survivors or family of survivors. So this book takes place in the 40s, very different from the other books. And it's been said that this is Judy Bloom's most autobiographical book. She also had to go live for one summer in Florida when she was around 10 This is the book that she says Sally is her. Now, I read this book over and over and over when I was a kid. There's little parts in it that are super unusual. Sally makes up stories in her head. And so the the narrative will cut to this story that she's made up. And the stories are always very outlandish. And Sally has always positioned herself in the stories as a hero that is saving the world. And I did this same thing. I also made up stories in my head, all kinds of scenarios all the time. I was also always the hero. And that might be the end of where I am actually connected to Sally because she is Jewish. I grew up in Oklahoma, did not know a single Jewish person. She has this obsession with Hitler in a time where people didn't even speak his name out loud yet. The war had just ended. People were still very sensitive about even saying his name. This is not something that I related to on like an actual small town Oklahoma level. (laughs) However, Sally, she asks a lot of questions. She's very curious. 
people keep secrets from her, like not not big secrets, but you know, just like her parents won't let her listen in, her brother who is older, he's 14, he won't really kind of tell her things. So she doesn't understand a lot of what is going on, and she knows that she doesn't understand. And this is part of the reason that she makes up these stories on the side. It's her way of trying to understand the world around her. This is exactly how I felt as a kid. I knew that I didn't understand a lot of things. I grew up with much older siblings than I am. Of course, I had parents. I was kept out of the conversation a lot of times, or people wouldn't explain what they meant by whatever they were talking about. And I would ask a million questions and no one would ever explain to me. I was always too young or not involved or whatever. So I just loved... Sally J. Friedman, in this book, the book as a whole is a little bit plotless. (laughs) It's really, and I didn't know this as a kid, of course, but reading back, I'm like, oh, this is sort of just like little vignettes. It'll just be like two pages on her playing by the fountain. What is it? The structure is not as easily explained as, are you there, God, it's me, Margaret, or Blubber. Well, I definitely think that's kind of Judy's formula, at least in these three books, is to just kind of plop you in at a certain time period. And there's not even necessarily a plot going on at this time. It's not like there's a big life event other than the war ending and then moving. But I think that's what makes her so relatable is that she does just kind of plop you into someone's life. And it is the mundane day-to-day where we do learn these big life experiences. It's in the small day-to-day stuff. But I loved the story where they were talking about everybody was so excited about the new edition, the new edition, the new edition. And she was like, what are you guys talking about? What are you guys talking about? She thought they were building onto their house and they were talking about somebody having a baby. And so, yes, she was kind of left to fill in the gaps a lot. The story was just beautiful for so many reasons. But it does also give you a little bit of insight into what it's like to be a kid and to remember yourself what it's like to be a kid or as you're learning to expand your world from just you and what's going on with you to, you know, the other people in your house. So, you know, brother is in the book. Her brother is just kind of leaving all the time. The mom excuses herself to cry a lot in the bathroom. And there's not a lot of thought as to, what is going on? Like the huge reason they move, you know, the brother is very, very ill and they moved so that he is exposed to the Florida sunshine and all this, but not a lot of that goes into Sally's day to day thought process of, Oh, how mom must feel or how she's just kind of living in her own world and filling in the gaps, like you said, but you can kind of get glimpses as an adult into what must have really been going on. My favorite part of it, is that she is taking in the information all the time, even though she isn't exactly sure what to do with it. When they get to Florida, there are separate water fountains, and she has never experienced that before. Also, the upstairs teenage neighbor gets pregnant, and the way they talk about that, she's just taking in all this information. Her friend's mom is obviously an alcoholic, and the little friend is explaining how her mom gets drunk on Saturday nights. And Sally's just like, huh. (laughs) Like she just takes in all this information, seemingly without judgment, honestly. Like she's just learning and taking it in and then maybe applying it or not. And I don't know how to like overemphasize how Sally's brain worked just like my brain. I 
also took in a lot of information and would store it and didn't necessarily know where to apply it and would often misapply it, which Sally does. She becomes convinced that one of the old men that lives in her building is Hitler in disguise. Because after the war, when it was uncertain of what actually happened to Hitler, she becomes convinced that he is like in hiding in Miami Beach, which is absurd, but she really believes it in her mind. And she's just taking, it's clear that she's just taking all these little pieces that she's heard about the war and Hitler and concentration camps, which she tries to play with her friends one day, let's play concentration camp, which is obviously completely inappropriate. But she's just taking all the information that she's gleaned and she's trying to make sense of it with her stories and with her play and by believing, well, if we don't know what happened to Hitler, maybe he's here, like in our building, which is how a 10-year-old might think. You know, I mean, they have no global awareness. You know what I mean? So I just loved it, even though I feel like if I had read it now, I would be like, is this book a mess? Kind of has no, it's kind of all over the place. There's not like a plot structure. Still, the way that Judy Bloom writes children and the way that different children's brains work and how they think about things, whether it be like bullying or getting your period or making sense of this terrible war. All of the different ways that Judy writes little girls mostly. I mean, I know she writes books about boys too, but in these books that have seemed to be so formative for people, the way that she writes about little girls and the way that they think is just, I don't know that anybody else does it like that. I really, really don't because it seems simple. And as an, if you only read it as an adult, if you had not had a Judy Bloom experience as a kid, I think you maybe wouldn't fully get it. You would be, like you said, outraged at how mean the kids are and blubber, or you would look at Sally J. Friedman as a novel and be like, this is a little bit all over the place. If you have experienced it as a kid and having that connection to a character that just cannot be replicated, then I think you understand like the magic of Judy Bloom. I did not actually read Sally J as a child. I only read it as an adult, but I'm glad that I had the experience. And when we reread these, this was the last, I read this one in the middle because I read Are You There God a whole bunch. So I'm glad that I visited it for the first time in this way because it did put it in, into context with how Judy Bloom writes and the importance of the kid and their innocence as the narrator instead of what I as an adult am trying to impart upon another generation. It is just pure in that way. But I do have to read this as an adult for the first time. And so I did, I, I totally see what you're saying. Although it, that did not bother me, the all over the place of the book, because I understand Judy, I think, and how she writes. But I did think it was interesting to see how the adults handled Sally J. For instance, when she is exploring these racial differences and we have to drink at these different water fountains and she asks her friend, don't you think it's weird that they have to sit in the the black people have to sit in the back of the bus and we get to sit in the front. And don't you think that's unfair? And her friend says, I do think it's unfair, but my mom just says we have to abide by the rules. So then as she does, she writes her dad who she calls doughy bird. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Who she calls doughy bird. She writes doughy bird and she says, dad, why is race like this? What is wrong? You know, there's nothing different about black people than white people. Why 
do we have to abide by these rules? And he says, change is coming, but, but not yet. And so we have to abide by these rules. So is that what we should be saying as an adult? You know, is that what, when my kids ask me these hard questions that are really hard to understand sometimes, is that the message that I want to send to them? And so I do, as an adult, have to read this and think, is that the best? Is that the best thing to do with our kids? What do you think? How did you take those responses from her parents? Well, first of all, I feel like all the adults in these books are nightmares. Like, what are they doing I don't understand. I mean, I do understand because I grew up with parents who are much more hands-off than we are parents now, you know, but also loving. Same as in these stories where, like, the parents obviously love their kids, but they are way, way, way hands-off. But in terms of the parents in Sally J saying about all kinds of things, about race, about some school stuff, like, about all of the things they seem to be saying, some version of, well... This might not be right, but we have to follow the rules. And they say it that simply. I don't know that we're saying anything different. We just make it more flowery. Do we just like talk so much? I talk so much to my kids. I give them so many words all the time. And I don't think that they even understand all my words. They're, all they get, the message is, but we still have to do this. What is dif- What is that different from the nightmare parents in... The Judy Bloom books. I don't know. And I'm not criticizing myself or you or, or anything. I'm just saying, like, has it changed as much as we think it has? Well, especially with social media, because we have these unsupervised classrooms where the kids are virtually doing these things to each other. So, and I guess that's my point is Judy Bloom records for us is what Sally has chosen to share with us. It doesn't mean there weren't other people in her life speaking things, but the one person that needed to speak to her, the one person she did listen to and record for us in this book is her dad or her dad's responses. And so how do we have meaningful conversations with our kids that don't just, I would be so bold as to say it's it's not okay to just go along with it just because it's the rules. We need to work within our system to try to move things forward and change. And I hope that we don't just, the message that was, that she got from her dad in this book was, well, we hope things change someday, but for now we're just going to keep with the status quo. And I think if there's anything we've all learned in the past couple of years, for sure, is that we can't do that or we shouldn't do that, that we have to be verbal and vocal about certain things. Yeah, I agree. I just want to make sure that all of my words to my kids match up with my actions. I just think it's so beautiful that she has been able to write so many books that can lead to discussions like this, both as a child and as an adult, and pass these things on generation to generation. I mean, I think that speaks so much to the power of the stories that she tells and how she tells it. And I told you before we started, I had so many words and I still could say so many words because it did bring up all these things from childhood, the bullying, but also all the things that we talked about, the periods, the grandmothers, the stories that we're telling ourselves, like you mentioned earlier, that Sally is her own hero. I love all of those themes so much 
And I could talk about this forever. I really could. So you would say that the Judy Bloom books, on the whole, have held up? Absolutely. I do too, man. I really do. They have updated a few tiny things, like the maxi pad discussion gets a little bit of an update. <laughs> yes, I think they talked about them as like belts and they, things. They before. used to have belts, apparently. This was before our time, so who knows? <laughs> but. There's been a few things to make them not feel totally outdated, but thematically and character-wise and then just the writing, Judy Bloom holds up. I'm so glad that we read these again. I almost feel like I've had a therapy session. I mean, I feel very <laughs> light. My soul feels fed. That's the whole thing about 10 things to tell you. You do feel better when you tell your stuff. I'm like, I think they're, I really do think that. Obviously, I think that. I'm doing a whole show about it. I'm Laura Tremaine, and you just listened to the 10 Things to Tell You podcast. You can find the show notes and subscribe to episode emails at 10thingstotellyou.com slash podcast. And you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at 10 Things to Tell You. Thanks for listening. Now go share something.